Blog Talk Radio. Fans, welcome to the show here on another Sunday afternoon. Thank everyone being with us today. Real, real quick, before we jump into things, if you're looking for some pro wrestling today, major show happening in Portland, Oregon. It is Blue Collar Wrestling bringing back TJ Perkins to once again fight for the Blue Collar Wrestling heavyweight title versus Just Exciting. They got several Big time matches happening today, so if you're in Portland, head down there to 7525 North Richmond Avenue at the Colony for some weekly BCW. But today is a show I have been anticipating greatly since uh, a very, very long time ago, as a matter of fact, when we were first kicking this around. We are pleased to bring you Military Appreciation Day today, and we have some members of the wrestling fraternity that also were proudly serving our country at some point in time. Real quick, I want to welcome them on. We are still waiting for our Army representative. Hopefully he'll be on. But representing the United States Navy, Joe Vernola. Joe, welcome back. Uh, thanks for having me. Welcome. Thank you for doing this as well. And representing the United States Marine Corps, Scott Diamond. Hoorah. Thank you again, uh, Sign Guy, for, for having this show and allowing us to come on. Oh, definitely our pleasure. And representing the United States Air Force, proud member of the Gallagher roster, Seymour Snot. Seymour, welcome back. Thanks for having me, Sign Guy. Thanks for having this as one of the subjects of your show. Oh, definitely my pleasure. Now, a lot of people will know that in wrestling, a lot of people that are involved in it at one point in time did serve in the United States of military. I know several Active professional wrestlers are also actively serving in the military, be it uh, regular duty or in the reserves. So there's a very, very long connection between the United States military and professional wrestling. Also, if you've been a fan of independent pro wrestling for any length of time, you probably know that in a lot of cases, wrestling shows are held at National Guard armories and veterans of foreign wars buildings. So there is a connection to the wrestling industry as well as the military that way. And there was even a show in the last few months held on an old aircraft carrier in Michigan. So all kinds of connections going on. But to get some background, if you could tell us, what you were doing in the military, and then what kind of led you to also jump into wrestling. And we'll start off with our United States Marine Corps member, Scott Diamond. Oh, wow. So how did I get caught up going from the Marine Corps to professional wrestling? Um, You know, sign guys, you and I have spoke before the first time that I was introduced to wrestling was in 1971 when I seen Bobo Brazil at the Atlanta airport. So from that moment on, um, I, I was in the second grade, if you will. Um, I, I knew I wanted to be a part of professional wrestling because he was the most dapper, the most awesome looking guy in the entire airport. So right away I knew I wanted to be a part of professional wrestling. Now you jump forward about three or four years, and I'm getting ready to graduate sixth grade and go into junior high school. A Marine came to our school to 
speak on what the military service has done and, and really the, the history of our military service. And there again, this man, um, he came in in his dress blues and he was looking, you know, to coin Rick, if I may, quote, looking only as he could look. That sent my mind back to 1971 because I had not seen another person who looked so just so sharp, so squared away since I had seen Bobo Brazil. So you put those two guys into perspective for me, it was the look. You know, they had great clothes. They carried themselves really good. The two seemed to just really go together. So when um, I got to high school, of course, I started wrestling. And then when I had in the Marine Corps, I started wrestling. And uh, I had the opportunity um, to wrestle under a man, um, which I don't want to give his name out, but he was a Olympic wrestler. He was on the Olympic wrestling team, and that was my first introduction to um, pro wrestling as we know it today. I, I started there with him, and, you know, he beat the daylights out of us, and for some ungodly reason, you know, Marines and uh, wrestlers alike, they just, when there's a good fight somewhere, they want to be there. And so that's really what kind of put uh, myself into the Marine Corps and into pro wrestling. Very, very nice. Joe Vernola, what about you? What led to you getting into the military and then also jumping into pro wrestling? Um, uh, I had pretty much always known, at least since I was probably about 10 or 12, that I wanted to uh, be in wrestling. Around the same time, I realized that um, – Genetics may not be on my side with that, but that there were plenty of other ways, roles I could have other than um, actually wrestling, and I've been able to fill a lot of those roles. Um, but from that point, almost everything I did as far as education or school or anything like that was always gearing towards um broadcast journalism, that kind of niche, so I could be a Jim Ross or Gene Okerlund, anything along those lines. Um, getting into the Navy, it's going to sound kind of cliche, but I probably would have wound up dead or in jail um, if I hadn't have gone. Not that I was doing anything truly heinous, but I probably would have just done something stupid at some point. And I was, you know, I was 19, 20 years old and people do stupid things at that time. Um, it was uh, the middle of um, OIF, but, or towards the end, actually, you know, 2005 is about the middle. Um, but I just, uh, there was a recruiting office a couple miles from my house that was a recruiting office for all four branches, and the uh, Navy recruiter was the one to get to me first. <laughs> and it just kind of went from there. He told me that um, they had uh, what the Navy now calls uh, mass communication specialists, basically public affairs, uh, AFN, things like that. And <clears throat> the, uh, the detailers actually um, fulfilled what the recruiter told me they were going to be able to do and everything, which isn't, which unfortunately isn't always the case. But if you're signing up just for a job, you're probably signing up for the wrong reason. There was definitely some some patriotism involved with it as well. My uh, my grandfather was a drill instructor in the Marine Corps during World War II down in Paris Island. So there's uh, there's military background in my family and everything as well. And um, my uncle on my mother's side was in the Navy. And so, it, but it was basically to uh, kind of help me pull my head out of my ass for four or five years and uh, help me out with some other things in the long run. And then uh, once I got out of the Navy, I went back to Vegas uh, 
um, hooked up with Adrenaline Unleashed for a couple months, uh, started learning the ropes there, and then FSW started up, um, and I jumped in, uh, jumped in with with them after getting hooked up with them through a uh, buddy of mine named Polly Cover. Seymour, Sean, what about you? What led to you serving in the Air Force and then later getting into the pro wrestling industry? Oh, I basically, I didn't have any plans after high school, so it was time to figure out what I was going to do with my life. So uh, I was interested in the Air Force. I had a friend who was going in there, so I said, you know what, I'm going to try this too when I get out of school. And um, It was fun. I had a good time with it, made met some good friends, did some traveling. And then, uh, you know, I've been a pro wrestling fan ever since I was like 10 or 11 years old. So, um, you know, fortunately I was stationed in California in the mid nineties and, you know, got interested in, uh, wanting to get into pro wrestling. And, you know, of course, back then, you know, you didn't have internet or anything. So you had to kind of search for schools. So, uh, I ended up buying the, uh, that book that uh, Paul Bear and Dennis Brent put out in the back of the wrestling magazines at the time and found a few wrestling schools. And then, of course, you know, I found the school up in Hayward, California and sent away for some information and then just ended up, you know, before I uh, ended my enlistment, I did some time over in England and I said, you know what, when I get out, I'm going to get into pro wrestling. And that was pretty much about it. Now, in the wrestling business, going back many, many decades, a lot of wrestlers have done gimmicks that involved the military. Uh, Freddie Blassie was originally Sailor Fred Blassie when he got out of the Navy right after World War II. Um, Sailor Art Thomas, also similar situation. We've seen guys like the very, very popular Sergeant Slaughter, who uh, has had some controversy in the last couple of years with his gimmick, but he was definitely a military-based professional wrestler. We've seen guys like Ranger Ross. In each of your opinions, who do you think was most successful in portraying the military and professional wrestling as a combination, and we will start with Scott Diamond. You know, I think you picked a very good person, and and I think the reason that I say that is, you know, Sergeant Slaughter, again, he's going through some controversy because he actually did not go to Paragon. He's not actually a Marine. Um, but if, if you had to pick someone that has portrayed a military figure throughout the years um, and done it the best – I have to go with Sergeant Slaughter. You know, um, this guy was not only – and let's keep in mind, this really was before Hulkamania really took uh, a hold. I mean, let me put that out there because this, again, um, it's a testimony to this guy's work. You know, again, he wasn't really in the military, but he carried his himself as such, and he not only – broke down barriers um, in the professional wrestling with getting, um, you know, more guys, uh, private canoodle and, and whatnot. There was two or three others that came in. Um, his gimmick was so good that he was able to spread that throughout the locker room. And these guys, let's face it, Don Canoodle and, and, you know, the ones that came in as the privates for Sergeant Slaughter, they were nowhere near as talented as Sergeant Slaughter was. But because of the way that he carried himself and the way his character was over, his persona was able to um, give them a blanket of, of shelter, if you will. You know, they could go out and, and do these little matches, and they got the hype and the notoriety because they were aligned with Sergeant Slaughter. Now, if you keep that in mind, how he revolutionized wrestling, let's jump into – how he revolutionized patriotism in our cartoons, in our animation. This man, and again, I want to express, this was really before Hulkamania really took off. You know, 
he broke down the barriers. He he was booked everywhere in the world as Sergeant Slaughter. He was doing numerous, uh, again, animated movies. I mean, he was out here doing things that nobody had ever thought about doing. You know, professional wrestling. Selling out the garden. Not not to step on you, but he was selling out the garden every month. And, you know, there's very few people ever to sell out Madison Square Gardens. And you bring up a great point because I'll tell you one guy who did, and, it, and it, again, it it's not happened very many times. But Elvis Presley was a guy who sold out Madison Square Gardens. We all know what what Elvis Presley means to the music world. For Sergeant Slaughter to come into the wrestling world and do that, I think that there in itself speaks volumes of the guy who came in as a uh, you know military personnel gimmick, if you will, and just took over. You know, I, I'm not trying to knock you know the guys that did it. Also, you know, Booker T started out as GI, and but Sergeant Slaughter, in my mind, he's the one that personifies. When you think about the connection between the military and wrestling, you have to speak of Sergeant Slaughter. Joe, what about you? I Who do you think did the best job at combining? Um, honestly, I couldn't say it any better. I couldn't think of anyone else or say it any better than it than it was just said. That was the best crossover. Um, they WCW tried so hard to do it with Craig Pittman, um, and I remember that, but. And again, that's no knock on on any of them. It just shows how hard it is to actually really legitimately translate that that character because it's it, it's very easy to translate um, the values and the work ethic and everything like that that you pick up from the military or that you strengthen through the military, but it is really hard to translate a military character like a Sergeant Slaughter or a Craig Pittman or a Corporal Kirshner, Sailor Fred Blassie, anything like that, especially in a time like this or or just any time really uh, other than maybe, you know, right around World War II or times where patriotism was just bubbling, bubbling hot. It's very hard to make that character translate and make it likable by by so many people and again to slaughter's credit like he literally carried himself as a marine without actually being that and for what it's worth like that level of kayfabe and sticking to the commitment and sticking to the gimmick and everything is super super commendable so like i can't hit on the guy for for what he did. What about you, Seymour Snot? Yeah, I'll definitely go with Sergeant Slaughter on that. He's uh, He pretty much had the best gimmick, so he made a fortune off of it, so that's pretty much all I can say off of that. He was, he was able to retire early. <laughs> yes. Now, over the years... Like I said earlier on today, we've seen wrestling held at military installations. Uh, One of the WCW Clash of Champions was held at Fort Bragg, North Carolina, and it had this rabid crowd that just was one of the loudest crowds you'll ever hear on a televised wrestling show. We've seen WWE for the last 20 years present tribute to the troops, which has become one of their uh, standout shows every year as they have traveled all over the world to go to military installations and provide the troops a show where they don't get live pro wrestling normally. Do you think that just by and large that military personnel, when they get shows, on bases like that are more appreciative of having the show, or do you think there's something more to how rabid the fan base seems to be whenever they perform at the military installations? Well, 
start with Scott. You know, um, I'm biased maybe a little bit because I am a service member, but I I believe that the servicemen and women, when they have an opportunity uh, to see a show such as the WWE has been doing here for several years, um, the USO shows, excuse me, you know, the military is a hard life. Um, whether you're single or whether you're married, you have kids, don't have kids, or whatever the case may be, um, it's a very hard life. It's a very stressful life. And, um, you know, I don't know anyone that is more appreciative of a opportunity to take a moment just to sit back and relax. Uh, because for the men and women that I served with, the ones that served before me and the ones going now, um, you, you just don't never know what tomorrow is going to bring. Today you might be sitting in uh, Japan over at the air base eating a nice lunch. Tomorrow you might be in Afghanistan. So with that being said, the military is very stressful, and they play very uh, – they work very hard. So when they have an opportunity to, to – play a little bit, such as these shows, the USO shows, the WWE shows, um, I think you will not find a more appreciative bunch because, again, they truly appreciate the opportunity to let their mind relax, even if it's just for a few moments. So uh, for me, I certainly do believe that, uh, you know, the military appreciates any opportunity such as these shows, more so than, and I'm not trying to speak ill of our, our society, but they appreciate it more than people that are living in the basement of their mother's home hollering, hey, mom, I have to get this pay-per-view because so-and-so is on it. Um, certainly the WWE and other wrestling, uh, AEW and whatnot, they have a following as far as a civilian fan base. But that civilian fan base does not appreciate it anywhere near what your military veterans and your serving personnel do. That's that's my opinion. Joe, what about you? What do you think it is that makes the military fans seem a little bit more rabid? Um, it's like it's like it's been said. It's that it happens so rarely and the military is a 24-7-365 job even on the 30 days of leave you may be lucky to get you can always get called back but it's you never know what the next day is going to bring and for a chance to just unwind for even just a couple minutes uh, it's Definitely, it's very much appreciated. And uh, being from the public affairs side of this, and again, um, huge, huge show of gratitude and respect to the USO and uh, Morale, Welfare, and Recreation departments. But it's there's a lot of work that actually that goes into that stuff as well. To the USO shows the the tribute to the troops shows the um they've had uh college basketball up until the pandemic started most of the time this season started with uh two teams playing on a carrier and half the time half the time it was in poor it was usually in port in either san diego or norfolk but um it, it just anything like that while it looks flashy and it's nice for the civilians to see and everything as well. We appreciate it more because A, it's a chance for us to relax and everything, but B, it's um, it's a show of gratitude from the people putting on that show, be it the USO, be it WWE, be it the NCAA, or <coughs> that entertainment to the ship, to to the sport, to the Air Force Base, wherever it may be, um, it's, there's a a huge amount of effort that they have to put into coming out here uh, to put that on, and it's just a a huge showing of gratitude, because you don't, 
get to see the gratitude that people show for the military back home. You don't get to see that while you're out on deployment. You're out there alone. It's you and however many other people you're out there with. If you're on a carrier like myself, I mean, you're on a floating city. You're lucky. You got 5,000 other people that, you know, you can have some kind of semblance of a social life. It's not as lonesome, but still it's, you don't get to see the appreciation and gratitude that you as a veteran get to see far more often now that you're home. I mean, so it's nice to see that gratitude and even, especially in as grand a gesture as that. What about you, Seymour? Where do you think the rabid fan base out of our military stems from? Uh, I think want to go out we just want to go out and have a good time so it's uh it's you know and plus a lot of uh military people i think there's a lot of wrestling fans that are in there so you know they're very appreciative of a good show well my co-host coach mike jones is standing by i think coach has questions as well so i will pass things over to the capable hands of Coach Mike Jones. Hey, you guys. Thanks for coming on. I'm proud and honored to share the same airspace with you. Thank you for uh, everything you guys have done for wrestling and for being in the military. I really appreciate it. Thanks. Thank you, Coach. Thanks for having us. Thanks. You're welcome. Also, um, uh, you know, uh, Seymour, you're one of the most popular uh, characters and uh, people on the Sign Guys Wrestling Show and Turnbuckle Turmoil. And, uh, Thank you. <laughs> hope to one day work on a show with you. Sounds great. Okay, and then Scott, um, what what was uh, one of your favorite military movies? Oh, gosh. You know... Where do you start? There have been so many that have come out. You know, I've said for years and years and years that uh, I could watch old Jeller all day and never shed a tear, but you show me Sansa Iwo Jima, and when John Wayne gets shot, it just tears me up inside. Um, but I think as of, and when I say recently, I'm saying in the last 20 years, um, Full Metal Jacket, in my opinion, is the closest that you will ever come to Marine Marine Corps boot camp. Um, Up until the point that Private Pyle had the the round, uh, because he would have never gotten that round from the the line. He would have never got off the line uh, with that round. But excluding that part, Full Metal Jacket is is definitely one of my favorites. A Few Good Men, um, what was it, um, the one with uh, Jack? Gosh, Full Metal Jacket. and I want to say it was A Few Good Men, the one with Jack Nicholson. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, it. yeah. So Yeah, him I, and uh, Tom Cruise, it's the uh, court-martial. Yes, and you know, that is another movie that I can watch over and over again because the reality, and you wouldn't know unless you've been there, and and I've been there. Um, I had, got to watch what I say, um, I had a, a, a little operation, so to speak, with, uh, it's called NIS. On television, they call it NCIS or some shit like that. But in real life, it's NIS. Uh, And, Joe, you might be able to help me out there. The Naval uh, Investigative Mm -hmm. Service or something like that. It's like the FBI. That's exactly what it is. Yep. And so um, I I had a top security clearance. And so uh, I'm trying to be careful what I say here. But when, when you look at that court scene between Tom Cruise and Jack, that it's like I'm sitting in that office all over again with Naval Investigative Services. That's as as 
I mean, the scrutiny is so high, you wouldn't believe how words can carry so much weight. But that, as we call it in the wrestling business, a shoot, um, that moment on on the, the stand for Jack, everything that came out of his mouth, you know, code, honor, giving up one to save two, that's all true in the Marine Corps. In the Marine Corps, every bit of what he said is true. If I got to send 10 guys in because they got 10 rounds and I got to send 10 guys in to get shot so the other 20 guys can come in after they run out of rounds, that, that's the way the Marine Corps operates. Now, don't get me wrong. They're very intelligent. My point is, though, they will do whatever it takes. And I think Jack portrayed that, and I think the Sergeant Major also portrayed that and Full Metal Jacket, rest his soul. Definitely and, impressive, and yes. You know, if I just and, real quick might throw this last one in for the younger folks to go and check out, because I think you would like it. It would explain a little bit more about the old core, as we called it. Um, look up the DI with Jack Webb. All right, nice. And then uh, – you know, we know that uh, a lot of the questions we ask have more than one answer, so we don't mind that at all. Uh, it's really hard to narrow it down to one a lot of times, so no problem on that. The other thing I'd like to say is our our live show only goes an hour, so we always like to make sure all of you get your plugs in uh, before the hour's up. And then another thing is we can go up to two hours, but we know today's like one of the busiest days in the History will be in the Super Bowl, so we'll play play that by <laughs> ear. And also, I'm going to have Sign try to book all you guys on your own show so we can get more more in-depth with all of you. But uh, anyway, Joe, how about you? What was your favorite military movies? Um, Full Metal Jacket is uh, definitely a good one. Um, even though it got kind of um, schlocky and definitely went away from whatever history it was actually based in, Saving Private Ryan. Um, it was a good movie, so, I, I mean, I can't speak on its accuracy at all, but it was, I mean, that was one that always kind of stuck out to me uh, growing up. It also came out when I was a teenager, so that may be why it sticks out. Um, but Full Metal Jacket is always a good one, and having been public affairs, even though I was in the Navy, I get the, what do you think you are, a fucking writer joke all the time. <laughs> <laughs> <clears throat> so, and yeah, and the uh, we call them division commanders in uh, the Navy during boot camp. They they loved giving me that one, so and even afterwards, especially. And then, obviously, being on a carrier, there's always a Marine detachment as well. I they loved giving it to me as well. So, but uh, yeah. All right, and then yeah, myself, I, I'm drawn to pretty much any military movie, pretty much any western, especially ones with John Wayne in it, and. I've been on a mission this last year to watch as many John Wayne movies as I can, and I've enjoyed every one of them so far. But other than that, how about you, Mr. Seymour? Uh, I'll go with uh, Mass. That's probably my favorite military movie. Uh, Ooh, yeah. Nice, especially since it's uh, based in Korea, which uh, my girl's from Korea, and I've been to Korea three times, and I love it there. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, did has Mr. Marks or uh, QT called in yet? They have not okay. as of yet. Okay. All right. Now, Scott, who were some of your heroes growing up? That includes military, regular life, and wrestling. Oh wow! Let's see. Well, I. I have to say that Merle Haggard probably was my first uh, celebrity idol. Um, you know, I was just in awe of uh, a fellow who could go to prison and, and six years later be on top of the music world. 
Um, so he was probably my first. Um, and then, of course, when Elvis Presley came along, um, he, too, was a great musical idol of mine. Um, and then, of course, as I said earlier, once the recruiter came to my school in the sixth grade, <laughs> it was every military person that came down the pike, be it, uh, rest his soul, Dwight D. Eisenhower, um, Audie Murphy, the, the most decorated man of WW2, um, George Patton, uh, just Chesty Puller, all these military figures um, – after the recruiter came in the sixth grade, that turned into, uh, you know, something that I idolized so much that, again, that I had to go and do. And uh, I'm very proud to say that I was able to make it through Marine Corps boot camp in six years of service with them. Definitely, that is impressive. A couple things I was proud of, I got to go to the MacArthur Memorial in, in South Korea, and I got awesome. a quick uh, – I got a quick Merle Haggard story for you. Um, All right. I was a local, I was a local roadie here in, in uh, Tacoma, Washington, in the Northwest for ten years, and I was blessed to get to work for uh, Mil ha- Merle Haggard one time. And uh, normally at shows in the Northwest, almost every artist who comes here, they'll yell out Seattle, no matter where they're at. Okay, and like in. <laughs> In, in Tacoma, the fans get pissed and, like, flip them off and shit because they're like, man, you don't know where you're at. And then uh, but Merle Haggard pulled what, pulled a smooth one out of, that, out of the bag. He goes, Fife! It's a little town wow. right outside Tacoma. And I'm like, nobody mentioned Fife. <laughs> he, uh, he was a true icon, you know. Uh, I'll quote Johnny Cash, if I may, which we all yeah. know was a – uh, icon himself, but uh, as, again, I, I'll quote Johnny Cash, and he said, "You know, Merle, you live the life that people think that I lived, but I just sing it. You lived it, and uh, you know that speaks volumes to a uh, a poor kid that came out of the ghetto. You know, Merle Haggard's uh, father he had found a uh, during the Dust Bowl in the Depression of the 1930s." Um, they were moving around following the uh, the groves, the, the weather, so they could pick fruit and things like this. And uh, so his father came upon a old boxcar that was discarded, as we all have seen, I'm sure, um, but never thought one time about having to live there. Merle Haggard lived many of his years in that boxcar that they wow. just wandered behind. So true icon. Yeah, and then, yes. And another thing I realized during that show, it didn't take you long to realize not only is he a legend, he is cool. He's he's cool. Makes him even more badass. What you see on the outside is what he is, is what he was. Definitely. Okay, Joe, what about you? How about some of your heroes? Um, <clears throat> growing up wrestling, it was Bret Hart. I was always a Hitman fan. Um, uh, I was also playing, um, I was also a saxophone player growing up, so musically it was a lot of Charlie Parker and Coltrane without getting hooked oh, on yeah. the junk and everything. It was, I would, was trying to emulate their styles, especially with uh, bebop improvisation. Um, and, but once, I got into the military as far as military heroes and I served with a lot of them. There are a lot of people out there that like are willing to serve in, to serve in our, our country's military as, as a past or as, part of the past to citizenship and stuff. And there were a lot of guys that were serving to better, to basically make a better life in this country. And that always spoke volumes to me that they're, you know, that they were willing to do this and sign their life away. And, you know, a lot of them were ordinance handlers and, 
mechanics and, and stuff like that or you know like fire controlmen as well like is some some of them doing some pretty dangerous or high level crap that they were willing to do that and willing to go into a war zone or something for in order to help them become a citizen and have a new life for them and you know whoever in this country, the United States, is that that yeah. always spoke volumes to me, and I thought that was always kind of heroic that they're willing. You know, this isn't even honestly their country at that point, but they want it to be, and the fact that they're willing to do that is just is heroic. Yeah, definitely. You know, it reminds me of like any time I see someone get a purple heart or even hear about it just gives me like a warm and fuzzy feeling, makes me feel so proud and honored and and just admire them so much to be able to achieve that. It's it's unbelievable. And um Seymour, Seymour, what about you? Some of your heroes. Uh wrestling wise, most of the guys I looked up to were guys like um from the mid eighties. It was usually like Bret Hart. Uh, the British Bulldogs, mostly like the smaller tag team wrestlers. Those were like the guys I would watch in WWF at the time and say, oh, wow, you know, these guys are having like the better matches, you know, like Macho Man and Ricky Steamboat and that. And So that was kind of like one of my draws uh, to getting into the business and everything. Um, in life in general, I'd probably say my dad because he was a Marine too. And, uh, you know, he uh, raised a family and paid off a house. So I think he's that's pretty successful. So Amen. all on that. Yes, thank him for his service also. All right, Scott, who were some of your toughest opponents in the ring? Uh, <laughs> Rob Terry, first and foremost, without a doubt. Um, Sweet. Rob Terry is such a huge, huge competitor. Um, I'll tell you, I took a clothesline from him, and, and I, I think I just woke up yesterday, and that happened about six or seven years ago. Um, he's definitely uh, a tough, tough individual um, that I've been in the ring with. Um, Brian Christopher is another one. Uh, Rest his soul. Uh, it was a very tough competitor in the ring. Um, wow, I've had such a long career. I just um, I haven't really thought about it in a long while. Um, okay, yeah. And what a blessing to work with Christopher. And um, yeah, I can only imagine. <laughs> oh yeah, I, I mean him, uh, Rikishi. I mean, gosh. There's so many, uh, Hacksaw Jim Duggan, uh, Bill Eady, you know, Al Snow, oh, wow. George South, Tito Santana, Ric Flair. You know, I've worked with so many great guys, so many great legends that uh, it'd really be tough to find one that was probably uh, the toughest on the outside. But I'll tell you, the toughest one on the inside of the squared circle was definitely Rob Terry. Great guy, don't get me wrong, but when he goes out to win, those big muscles ain't just to look at, man. He knows how to use them. Okay, and did you get the stink face from Rikishi? You know, <laughs> I get asked that a lot. And, you know, so the deal on that was, uh, I don't know if you guys remember uh, one of my running partners, uh, my brother, Big Frank the Tank. Um, okay. Yes, I do. You marry him, sign guy? So we were going to do Absolutely, I worked with Frank the Tank. Great guy, I love him. God, uh, Godparents, his two children. Um, so they wanted Frank and I to work Rikishi. And of course, you know we we've been the bad guys for so long. We were going to be the bad guys then too. And guess what? They always want the bad guys to do. And you know they didn't want Frank to do this. They wanted the heel manager. They wanted Scott Diamond to take this. And. Uh, so I said, look, and I baked him uh, a fresh from scratch apple pie, which is another story, but um, I did not want to take the stink face. You know, looking back, maybe I should have. 
But I yeah. mean, Peach is so big. He's so big. Look, I got a big nose, and my nose would have been up into his kidneys before he'd have got all that ass to the back of my head. I'm oh, telling you. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. I did not take the stink face. Uh, we opted out of it. Um, but what I will say about that night, it, it was a great night, although I broke two ribs and I got three stitches. Um, you know, I leaked a little bit. But he was one of the most genuine guys that I've ever met in the business. You know, uh, a lot of us get on the road for 360 days a year. Um, and there for a long time, I was doing four or five shows a week myself. And, and so with being on the road, you know, there's things that you miss. Um, not only your family, birthdays, weddings, and all that. Um, home cooking. Because I asked Keish, I said, you know, with you being on the road so much, uh, what is it that you really miss? In home cooking, this guy is so down to earth. Home cooking is what he missed on the road more than anything. So, um, you know, this probably looks like I'm I'm a little sissy. He's one of the biggest heel in the last 25 years. And But I said, well, what is it that you really like? And he said, my mother makes the best homemade apple pie. And so I said, Keish, I'll tell you what, you know, um, tomorrow after the matches and stuff, I'll, I'll bring a pie, I'll make one and, and bring it. And when he found out I made it from scratch, he just, he got so excited like a little boy at Christmas to just pull a puppy out from under the Christmas tree, you know. Um, and so he, I said, I set this pie down. I said, Keith, let me go get some cutlery and we will cut it up and dish it out. Let me tell you guys. He stuck his hand right down into that pie, didn't wait not two seconds for a, a, a plastic fork, knife, or anything. As big and as, as tough as he is on the outside, when I set that pie down, again, he turned into a 10-year-old boy just pulling a puppy out from under the Christmas tree, and it was wonderful. It was amazing. Um, so for that, I should have taken the stink face, but I didn't. But I took the clothesline from hell from Rob Terry's. Okay, right on. And, and you know, uh, I've been on shows with Rikishi and, I, Rikishi, and I've got to wrestle at Knox Pro. But, you know, I, I would imagine if you asked most people if they would wrestle Rikishi and what it took to wrestle him was to get the sting face, they'd probably agree to it. So I guess I would agree to it if, if I got the chance. <laughs> well, I was, you know, it's just one of those things that sometimes it never comes up in your career, and then when it does, you're, you're guessing whether you should or you shouldn't. Um, yeah. Kind of another instance, I I had a, a gig with uh, Paul Bear, Percy Pringle, Bill Moody, whatever you want to call him. And so Bill calls me, um, Paul Bear calls me, and he says, you know, we're going to be in Akron uh, next Friday night. Do you mind? The take home is going to be I'm, I'm going to hit you with the urn. And on that instance, I said, hey. You know, I'm not shoving my face two miles up in some in some guy's crack. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. said I will most certainly take the hit with that urn. And uh, two days before the show, uh, unfortunately, Bill passed away, and so uh, I, I didn't do that. But uh, looking back, you know, maybe I should have taken the sting face, but I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Okay, Joe. What about you? Your toughest opponent. Oh, man. Well, I mean, I don't really get to wrestle a lot, so I haven't had many tough opponents. I did have a tuxedo match in uh, September, and I kind of jacked my neck up, so I'm still feeling that. So I guess I should say my opponent, Chad Kalina, and that was my toughest opponent. But um, I was, uh, as a manager... I guess I would have to say it would be cutting a promo on having to cut a promo on Val Venus. And obviously because he's the legend working a show at an, at a, uh, it was an elementary school. Um, it would, but it wasn't for an elementary school. It just so happened to be there, I guess, because I don't remember seeing many kids in the crowd, but it was, Obviously, Val being there, he's going to be the legend and everything. And here I am as the heel, and I'm expected to not only to have to verbally spar with a guy who was on cable and everything. So that was probably the toughest one. 
afterwards we got to back and everything and he, he told me he uh really enjoyed it and everything so i guess i didn't do too bad all right and then uh yeah seymour uh i'm sure you already knew but we'll let all the fans know that kevin sullivan or uh sign let everybody know on turnbuckle that uh kevin sullivan's one of your uh he's one of your biggest fans Yep, that's a huge honor for me. Yeah, that's impressive. And then we also know that you've been in the ring with people like Sign Guy, I would imagine Chicken Bob, and even I've seen your match versus Ryan Riley. Who's been some of your toughest opponents? Uh, it would probably have to be like the Barbarian, uh, especially getting the boot from him, or I would have to say the Great Kali. Okay, cool. And uh, what about, what's your favorite coffee for all the fans? Uh, Right now, it's Wegmans uh, Breakfast Blend Light in the morning. (laughs) All right, cool. And Scott, what about, what's your favorite coffee drink? I drink the uh, International Hazelnut. All right. And Joe, uh, what was that? One nut to another. Okay. And Joe, I'm sure Sign Guy would love to know because if you were ever at a show with him, he'd he'd try to bring you a cup of his own coffee. Um, Honestly, I'm not a big coffee drinker, but I'll usually do a cold brew or something like that. All right, cool. Um, yeah, yeah Carlos right. uh, doesn't really agree with coffee. Okay. And then what, uh, hey, Joe, what was some of your most memorable matches you've been involved with? Um, there have been a lot of uh, memorable matches I've been involved in, having to, uh, having to get, been able and lucky enough to work with uh, FSW. I got to see um, Brian Cage and uh, Matt Hardy in a ladder match and have them go through tables and, he was able to do the uh, backstage promos with them before the match and stuff. Um, that was that was a cool one to see up close and personal. Um, there was uh, we had a uh, we had a death match with uh, Schlack a couple years ago at a show up here in Denver. That um, I was that was really cool to even just be a part of, not even directly involved with, but to just be a part of. And that was kind of my introduction or reintroduction to uh, Deathmatch Wrestling because um, being a uh, tape trader, look it up, kids, back in the early 90s, I had gotten a lot of uh, FMW stuff and everything and loved those Deathmatches, and this was my reintroduction back into that scene and getting to, you know, um, more or less share a locker room with a guy like, with the crazy guy like Slack was uh, pretty cool, was, was pretty cool. Um, Yeah, it's, yeah, there were a couple matches that I was really happy to be a part of or something along those lines, but those are the two that jump out to me immediately. Okay. Hey, Scott, what about your most memorable <clears throat> matches? Uh, any match that I had with Tracy Smothers, I'd have to say. Um, oh, yeah. We we lost Tracy about a year ago. Uh, but, you know, I've been on many shows with Tracy, and uh, I'll tell you, I've, I've had fun with a lot of great names, but... Uh, by far, I got to say, any match that I got to do with Tracy Smothers was a great time. Whether I was with him, whether I was facing against him, no matter. Um, one thing about Tracy, when you was around him, you enjoyed yourself. Um, you couldn't help but enjoy yourself uh, inside and outside the ring. Um, he was probably the most fun I'd, I'd ever had in the ring. So that's, yeah, that's what probably the most memorable. Okay, what a blessing and an honor. How about you, Seymour? Uh, let me think. Um, 
I would probably say um, any of the matches I've had with uh, Jakob Hammermeyer, um, Timmy Lou Retton, uh, those are some of my favorite matches. So um, I think those are, you know, those are about at the top right now. Okay, we've been blessed to have Mr. Uh, Hammermeyer on here, and uh, I think it's time for me to send you guys back to sign guys. So we get, uh, our, we got five more minutes left to the live show, so I'm going to bring you back to the guy who's better than baseball, hot dogs, and apple pie. He's never going to lie, Mr. Sign Guy. Thank you, Coach. And for the record, we also had Timmy Lou Retton on this very program, so all of Seymour's awesome. most memorable opponents. But um, definitely we're running out of time today, so I want to make sure everybody gets the chance to plug and promote and say anything that they would like to say here today. So, Scott Diamond, floor is yours. First of all, Sign Guy and Coach, let me thank you. You know, um, from day one when I met Sign Guy, we just clicked. For whatever reason, you know, I, I don't know, but we just clicked. And so we've done several different things together, and uh, I really appreciate uh, all of that, you know, putting me out on, on Book em Friday and having me on these shows and things like that. I, I greatly appreciate that, first and foremost. Um, this is my retiring year, so I'm on a kind of the, the end of the road tour, if you will. So anytime that you guys allow me to have a platform to uh, – not only discuss what's going on with myself, but my company, Kentucky Elite Pro Wrestling, uh, which I share with my partner, uh, the big boss man. And speaking earlier of uh, the veterans in wrestling, he and I both are veterans. We are veteran-owned and operated. We run in the American Legion in Frankfurt. We're all about the military. Um, Every year we do a, a show for them on Memorial Day and present a a wreath for the fallen heroes and whatnot. Um, and coming up on February the 26th, I have Vic the Bruiser going to be main event and putting uh, not not his belt up, but he will be putting his uh, reputation on the line. Uh, although he's the heavyweight champion, he'll be putting his reputation, not his belt, on the line against the gold-blooded killer Omega. February the 26th. American Legion in Frankfurt. We also have a United States title tournament. <clears throat> Excuse me. So all that going on February the 26th and then coming back March the 26th with our Hall of Fame slash anniversary show, which uh, I had the blessing to be inducted with Tracy Smothers in the class of 2020. So that's what's going on with Scott Diamond and KEPW. And, again, I want to thank you, Coach, and thank you, uh, Sign Guy, for allowing me to be on here. Hey, how do people get a hold of you? They can find me either on uh, Facebook at Scott Diamond. And they can find me on Instagram, um, Scott Diamond. Um, or they can go to either one of the KEPW pages and find me there as well. Um, and for those that know me personally, um, if they don't already have it, they can reach out to me via Messenger to get um, – my other detail. My email is at scottdiamond65 at yahoo.com. Thank you. All right. Joe, what about you? I will be in Colorado Springs this weekend for uh, Brutapalooza 4. That is Saturday the 19th. Um, Colorado Springs Wrestling Brutapalooza Sunshine Studios Live. Uh, after that, um, March 5th will be at New Era Wrestling, Mile High Comics, and then March 13th at the Roxy in Denver. Uh, we, myself, and I am the provider of Primo's Premier Pro Wrestling. will be putting on the Denver Death Trip at the Roxy Theater in Five Points, Denver, if um, and actually, if you are a veteran and are on the uh, Vetix website program app, whatever you want to call it, uh, we give 50 tickets a month 
two vet ticket, two vet ticks for all of our shows. So if you're on the fence or maybe you're hurting on cash a little bit, but you still want to come out and see a wrestling show and you're a veteran, please, by all means, we invite you to uh, sign up for vet ticks, get tickets that way. And if uh, you need to find me online, um, again, if you need to, my personal Facebook, you can find me on Messenger. Um, Twitter is at JV Vernola. My Instagram is at JA Vernola. And then you can uh, also find me on the uh, Primo's Premier Pro Wrestling pages. Sweet. Uh, great, great. Now, Seymour uh, Schnell, what about you? Uh, March 5th, uh, it'll be the Redneck Rumble in Raleigh, North Carolina at Clouds Brewing. Um, and then on March 4th and 5th, uh, we'll be a part of the Man Expo in Raleigh, North Carolina at the Jim Graham Building. So those are three big gouge shows coming up uh, in the next few months. Um, I'll also be doing some other independent dates. Uh, March 26th, I'll be wrestling for 2-6 Academy in Dunn, North Carolina. And you can find me on Twitter at Seymour Snot or on Instagram at SuperSnot1 or on Facebook as Seymour Snot. And that's my fan page. So um, I'm pretty active on all three. So uh, I'll be definitely putting up some more show dates. All right. Sounds tremendous. Best of luck in this year's Big Slam Memorial Redneck Rumble. I almost won the thing last year if I wouldn't have been eliminated. <laughs> well, guys, I want to thank all of you for taking time today to be here. I greatly appreciate it, and we want to thank you very, very sincerely for everything you did, not only in the wrestling business, but for also serving in our military and helping to keep our country safe. It's greatly appreciated, and all of you, as you know, are welcome back here anytime. We always love having all of you. Thanks yeah, for I having. I wish you guys. Want to wish you guys all the continued success in the world. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much to both you guys. Thank you. You're welcome. All right. Well, coach, as we wind this thing down, you got anything to say? Plug, promote. Yeah, you can reach me at Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube at Coach Mike Jones. Also, don't forget to check out the NGW Green Room and the Real School Army. And, of course, I always like to give a plug out to your sign of the times. I really enjoy those. And we got a bunch of dates coming up, and uh, we can go over those in a minute. All right, well, um. As you know, like Coach said, you can find the sign of the times on the YouTubes. The Sign Guy 77, episode 518, just came out several hours ago, so that's the latest episode. On the Twitters, at Sign Guy HPW, the Book of Faces, you know the drill. I will not be at Blue Collar Wrestling tonight, unfortunately, but TJ Perkins in the house. It's always a very big crowd to see him, so. If you're in Portland, head over there to the Colony to see that show. It's a big, big night for the company as they ease your way back into weekly wrestling. And then I will be back at Northwest Pro the 25th and the 26th of February. So you can find me there. Coach, any other dates you want to throw out there? Yeah, well, we got Oliver Sawyer this Friday. And then a a Real School Army member, Short Sleeve Sampson, next Sunday. And then on the 27th, we got the debut of Real School Army's Moondog Ace. And then March 4th, we got J.D. Burns and his wife, Skylar Burns. Uh, They're going to be doing their uh, Bare Knuckle Fighting Championship at Tampa, Tampa Bay, Florida at the fairgrounds there. J.D. will be going for the 165 pound uh, championship and Skyler will be doing her bare knuckle fighting debut also on the 11th we got Stephen New the 20th of March we got the King of Connecticut the 27th we got uh, Nikki Six from the Suicide Kings amongst a whole bunch of people uh, on the books coming up and um, I, I 
I'm really excited for all the guests we got coming up. Absolutely, and also rounding out March uh, 13th, Caden Cassidy, and the 18th we have Buck Sexton out of Warrior Pro Wrestling, and the 25th, Cool Hills coming to the program. Eric Wright and Richard Sincere. But as we leave you today, uh, we mentioned on Friday, but I want to do this one more time. Uh, we lost a few wrestlers this past week. We lost Rick Hunter, who was a longtime veteran. He was in a lot of the southern-based territories. He was up here in the Pacific Northwest for a long time. Late in his career, he was on WWF television regularly. He passed away. 20-year independent wrestling veteran Shooter Storm passed away earlier this week. Uh, he was on the Jerry Springer program in the early 2000s. He had wrestled in a lot of East Coast independent promotions, was very well known on the independent scene. We lost him. And then Candy Devine, who was a legendary female competitor. She wrestled for the AWA, the WWF, the LPWA, had wrestled a laundry list of some of the top names in the last 25 years or so. So as we end things today, we will toll the bell in their honor. <laughs>